Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Ground Game LA podcast. This is your host, Bo Delight, and once again, I'm joined with my friend, Scotty Appleseed. What's up, Scotty? Hey there, Bo Delight. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, today, we wanted to talk about uh, something that came out of a conversation post-recording last time, which is um, my goal in life is to not be an asshole. Um, and... It's it's something that I decided to be my goal in life pretty much once I got out of high school, I would say. I'm like, I'm like I need to be an adult. I need to stop being an asshole. <laughs> 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 I didn't know those two things were equated. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, there, there are adults that are assholes, but I'm like, I just wanted to be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of like a goal that I set for myself every year. Like, people have, like, New Year's resolutions every year i think mine is just like be better that's Um, a good goal yeah uh but before we get into that uh you were just at the um congress of neighborhoods last week yes over the weekend yeah yeah how was that uh it was great i'm not on a neighborhood council uh it's the congress of neighborhoods for the los angeles uh, neighborhood councils there's like over 90 I right? have no idea how many. There were so many people there. I yeah. lost count. You can go back to the episode with Rachel Rose Lucky, and I think she says how many neighborhood councils there yeah. are. Well, also, yeah. you can go to Empower LA, uh, Google Empower LA, and they have a website. They help support the, these neighborhood councils. I was just so impressed because it was a whole day of, like, speakers and, like, breakouts. And, like, the first breakout, we talked about really about implicit bias, but... Mm-hmm going in there it was dealing with difficult personalities and mm-hmm. just um how how are we aware when someone's acting out of maybe what's leading them to that place mm-hmm. rather than making judgments or things um so i thought that was interesting that we had talked about the theme for this podcast and then the first <laughs> breakout session that i had re- registered on eventbrite for because you have to register in yeah. advance right and i had registered for that session first based on difficult people not even thinking about that and then I had a wonderful talk with Rachel mm-hmm. and uh, a friend of hers, and we talked during the lunchtime. Had a great chance to pass out water bottles to everybody in the food line. That was a lot of fun because I love to volunteer, and I was like, "Yes, please put me, put me to do something <laughs> and meet people at the same time and hydrate yeah. them because they were so grateful." Mm-hmm. And that was all of that gratitude, right? Of like people thanking us for the water bottles, and I was just like, "Ooh, yes, snaps! This is going to be a great <laughs> afternoon." I know what gratitude can do, yeah. At least in my own life. Uh, and people around me that have practiced it. And I went into the two afternoon um, breakouts and they had these two things that I'd registered for that were both around homelessness. Mm -hmm. And the awareness from the LAPD officer that spoke, from the person from DWP that spoke, they're putting Mm -hmm. out new um, trash cans. Mm -hmm. And uh, they talked about, um, I believe shower trailers or something like service trailers with like restrooms. Right. Which I was so like impressed about. And, uh, a woman from the interim housing. And that was interesting because I went up to her and I wanted to thank her because she was the first speaker. And I was so impressed by how she like not once said homeless people. Mm hmm she like used person first language all the way through and I was just like amazed because here she is in this smart like red suit and like (laughs) you know really looks like just very like put together and you know maybe like she doesn't have any problems I don't know Um, but here I am this 
person in the back, you know, ready to stand by the door because I'm I'm ready for this oppressive language because right. we're at, we're at City Hall, right? And I was nervous with 4118 and all these yeah. things that were happening. And I went up to her afterwards and I thanked her, and she said, "Yeah." She goes, "It's I'm I'm trying to," and she said homeless people and then interrupted herself Mm -hmm. and that was like such a brilliant moment for scotty appleseed because i was like oh my gosh yes snaps (laughs) to you um and i then opened myself up and said i'm surviving homelessness myself and she goes oh really she goes are you staying anywhere yet and Mm -hmm. i said i'm in interim housing and she goes oh how are they treating you and i was like (laughs) okay i'm i'm good there was some rocky points at first but i've got you know some ptsd and stuff and whatever and she hands me her card and she's the interim housing strategist for the city of los angeles (laughs) and she's like here's my card if you have any issues feel free to contact me or let's just reconnect and i was stunned um and then this gentleman, uh, he spoke, he's from, uh, his name is Terrence, and he's mm-hmm. the president of the Los Angeles Neighborhood Council Coalition. And they meet the first Saturday of the month at the DWP headquarters. And I'm going this, sat- I'm going this Saturday, and I'm so excited because everything that he had to share... Like I was, I remember standing in the back of the room and just... It was like that moment when I came to the first ground game meeting. Mm-hmm. And just that moment of like feeling witnessed, mm-hmm. like so many people like put so much stigma on someone who's homeless, mm-hmm. and like it was just it 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 moved me so much to hear someone speak like that so eloquently, so aware, talking about the solutions, and the solution isn't rounding people up and arresting them or mm-hmm. sending them to a camp. We're sending them to a facility. Um, other fascists in the past have done that, and it yeah. hasn't worked. Um, and they have learned from that. Um, I think we should learn from it too, and um, continue like treating people as humans. Um, I met some rad people from KCET and PBS that are doing some cool stuff. I'm excited to connect with them again. Um, the LA Equal Village was there. <laughs> Lois Arkin. I like love Lois Arkin and her yellow hat. <laughs> and she was like, how did you know it was me? And I'm like, Lois, I know you anywhere. Um, I love her. And it was just, it was such a beautiful day. Uh, my friend Giselle was there. I'm hoping mm-hmm. that she's going to join us in a future podcast. Uh, she's agreed. She's on the East Hollywood Neighborhood Council. And it was a great day of connecting again with Rachel Rose Lucky. And yeah. I was just so inspired that there's so many people. And it's not just homelessness they're working on. There's so many things that they're working on. Yeah. And they're so engaged. And these yeah. are elected officials, but... They're volunteering, you know, and they care. And it's just like, I was like energized. And that's why I wanted to talk about it on the podcast. So check it out next year. Um, Google Congress of Neighborhoods for Los Angeles or go to Empower LA and check it out. Shout out to Empower LA. And thank you for the wonderful, beautiful day. And yeah, all all of it, even the mistakes that were made during the day or or unforeseen things, you know, when you're planning a group gathering Mm -hmm. or whatever, things happen, things change. And just the flexibility and the grace that the volunteers and the organizers had with all of it. It was just yeah, great event, and I loved it, and I'm definitely going back next year. And I'm thinking of, you know, at least getting involved with the committee. I don't know if I want to join yeah. a neighborhood council yet. Yeah. I think getting – so if you're listening, <laughs> this would be a great way. The Grassroots Gilmores are maybe encouraging you if you'd like to check out your local neighborhood council and um, get involved in a committee. They have lots of them. They have homelessness yeah. committees. They have um, all sorts of committees that like are – Planning and development committees. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I've always gravitated towards the creativity side, too. Right, yeah. Like murals and public art and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, Same. Which is, I think, what I would 
I would do first. <laughs> I have experience in that, and it's fun. It's fun to collaborate for public art. Absolutely. So, thanks for letting me share that. Heck yeah. It was rad. Yeah, no, I, when I'm not, you know, busy with everything and overscheduling myself, <laughs> I'll definitely go. I want, I want to go. Um, and, like, I, I would like to go to neighborhood council meetings. They are public. They are open to the public. Yeah. Um, By law, they have to be. Yes. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Cool. Um, but, yeah, you can find the schedule for that if you, like, look up your neighborhood and then just put neighborhood council yeah like it'll be the first thing that comes up on google and it will like tell you when yeah when meetings are i also believe empower la Mm -hmm. has that accessibility too oh cool i found somewhere online it's got like a little map i don't know i was doing some research when i was kind of getting interested and just learning who was you know working on this stuff other than other than city council. Yeah. Or whatever. Wouldn't it be awesome if it was just neighborhood councils and no city council? This is my own agenda here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Would that be awesome? I, I, what I'd like to see is I'd like to see some of the folks that are on these neighborhood councils that have these big hearts. And maybe mm-hmm. there's people on city council now that are from there. So shout out to you. Yeah. Um, but these people, and maybe it's the the status of like volunteering yeah like when people are giving their time and really serving Mm -hmm. they're really a public servant so we could unpack that in an episode of what's it mean to be a politician Mm -hmm. and try to get elected and actually being a public servant and really listening to the constituents and really because that's what someone's supposed to be and that's what this um this new friend of rachel's was talking to us about was you know this idea of really like engaging with people and really talking to people and really bringing forward what like what people's real needs are yeah like rather than like going with like lobbyist money or agendas or right whatever like really going with like what like what the people need and mm-hmm. all all people not just the extroverts that are going to show up at a meeting yeah or whoever like the introverts because mm-hmm. the introverts have opinions too yeah and how do we include them in the space which i found very interesting because yeah. i feel like those of us that present as extroverts we can be more outspoken and express our thoughts and opinions more and other people may not have that same yeah and i i I think i would consider that a privilege as well as like being extroverted is like a privilege so like the same way that you would use like white privilege or male privilege or cisgendered privilege however xyz privilege um like the best way to use that privilege is to like set up the stage for someone else that doesn't have that privilege to step up to and like share their voice which is pretty awesome podcasting (laughs) shout out (laughs) yeah it's so interesting because i've been asked now to come into uh, a new space mm-hmm. and podcast uh, and work with them and I'm really excited more about that maybe in coming episodes but yeah. as it like manifests but it's just so interesting how how many people are are not just getting into this but like understanding the power of storytelling and the mm-hmm. power of like listening yeah and the power of hearing each other and and engaging yeah, yeah and there's a quote I saw online recently and I don't know who said it it might even be anonymous but people start to heal when they feel heard mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people that haven't been listened to yeah and once i realized that that like there were people that really wanted even in my hometown like there were older folks like elders yeah in the community that were coming to the senior center and we were talking about doing a writing class 
it was a, my privilege of like, oh, that's right. Like I'm a, I'm gonna write because I took a bunch of English classes in college and thought that was gonna be my major. Mm-hmm. But these people weren't interested in in writing anything. But you listen to their stories every single day. And some of them were brilliant. And I was yeah. like, oh, my gosh, we're podcasting here in the afternoons. Like, let's bring the podcast here and let's schedule. And we started doing that. And we would give them, if they weren't online or their family wasn't online, we'd give them CD copies. Mm-hmm. And it was this beautiful, like, well, you can go to KCIW. And yeah. uh, it's just so KCIW.org. And um, there's a program called Checko Activity Center, your gathering place. And some of the stories are of these seniors that were really active, not just in the senior activity center, but out in the community. And they had done a lot of things and a lot of them had moved from somewhere else. And so they were finding community and finding connection with people. And it was just so brilliant to have that like an uh, aha moment, I guess, again, of like as our stories are coming up of, you know, unpacking privilege and implicit bias and stuff like realizing that like, oh, Maybe an older person who's in their 80s or 90s doesn't want to sit down and write a no. memoir right now. But no. they'll sit down and tell you a story yeah. about the war or when they were a kid growing up in the Depression or yeah. all the different things that I heard about. And it was so cool. And so many people just they love to just sit down and have a conversation. And especially because it's not videoed. Mm-hmm. Like it's I talked about this with this new um, collaborator I'm working with and um, just talked about like being because be doing stuff with like uh, other folks who are surviving homelessness mm-hmm. and just that ability to be anonymous right yeah. like we're talking about like you with Bo Delight and yeah. me now using Scotty Appleseed more on the air um, so yeah just interesting what collaboration can do and yeah so yeah, implicit the doors that it can the doors that it can open implicit bias <laughs> don't be an asshole don't be an <laughs> asshole yes let's get into that so um let me define don't be an asshole for <laughs> Scott. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Whoops. Excuse me. Um, so so when I think of like my my life goal of don't be an asshole, mm-hmm. um, what that means is actually an action of take the two to whatever amount of seconds that it takes to think about the action that you're about to make, the thing that you're about to say, the thing that you have said, um, if you're not a quick thinker, because I'm not sometimes my, my, I mean, most of us, our mouths go faster than our brains. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And to think about those things and ask yourself, is this harming someone? Is this making um, an overgeneralization? That truck is so loud. Okay. Audio <laughs> birthday. Um, so, like, am I making an assumption about somebody or an experience? You know, like, basically, like, overstepping your bounds right. or, like, not checking your privilege. That is my definition of don't be an asshole. Um, and so that's something that, that I try to do on a daily basis. And it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard. But... Um, once you know the ins and outs of what we would call implicit bias, then it's a lot easier to like not be an asshole. 
It can be. It can be. It's it's a working. I think it's progress. hard. I think yeah. it, I think it depends upon the day and the situation and. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, I'm speaking, you know, from a very privileged place, um, and just being aware of that. But like, every day, I'm confronted by my implicit bias, you know, mm-hmm. in this experience of homelessness, as an activist, as a podcaster, as a podcast facilitator and mentor mm-hmm. you know and all of these like with the housing that I'm in and the interim housing right, you know right. I'm just I'm constantly confronted with that and yeah and just I think for me it's being willing to unpack that when it happens mm-hmm. and also like being willing to have those uncomfortable conversations with people yeah. where like saying to somebody like because oftentimes it's the thing with implicit bias that I've kind of learned is it's not like someone's being intentional. Like there's one thing of like intentionally like being mean. Yeah. And then there's something else of like, you're just being, and then you're like, Oh, like that's just you. You're just, that's just your experience. Kind of like gaslighting somebody that happens to me a lot, unfortunately. And, um, just kind of being willing to like show up and like talk to somebody like, cause there's been times where, like I've hurt people and not realized that I hurt somebody by something mm-hmm. that I said and they came up to me and my first instinct is to run and not to want to have that conversation right because it's uncomfortable but yeah. being willing to like sit with that and be like oh shit that's right like I might not get why that was not not cool yeah <laughs> and, well, and 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 not helpful yeah you know because words stick with people oh you yeah. know and I mean I've I've certainly ugh. yeah no there are certain words yeah. that like make my skin crawl because they were used against me when I was a child. Like, like words will stick with you, but also like words also only have the power that you give them. Oh yeah. And so it's like, it's hard to, I would say it's hard to take away that power from words and like reclaim things. But like sometimes, I don't know when you have like a, when you have a community that has had words used against them, like, I feel like then it's a little bit easier to, to reclaim words, I guess. I don't know. I, like, I think of the, the example of, like, the word queer. Mm-hmm. Like, it used to be something that was, like, like that was derogatory. For a lot of people, For it still lot. is. Yeah. When I say queer, they freak out. They're yeah. like, you just said that. Yeah. I thought we weren't supposed to say that. <laughs> right. And it's, like, so people within within my generation I was born in the mid 90s I'm a baby um (laughs) so people of like my generation because like I feel like we're taught acceptance of like spectrum okay when it comes to gender and sexuality and um and expression of those things um queer as an umbrella term has been really helpful for that because I feel like vocabulary is what like it makes us feel more comfortable having vocabulary and being able to define certain things that like don't necessarily make sense in our heads like when we don't have enough a definition for it like it makes us a little bit more comfortable with ourselves Mm -hmm. like then it's been helpful but they're like previous LGBTQ communities of like previous generations probably still do and may have um like a weird connotation with the word queer 
the LGBT Center of Los Angeles does not have a Q in it. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, no, I'm really kind of... It's strange for me because I was in a space recently and someone said that the Q stood for questioning mm. or queer. Mm-hmm. And... I've had that debate with people before where they've said, oh, it stands for questioning and they're hard and fast on that. And you Google it and it's like people say both sides of it. Yeah. But most people say it's a kind of, but for me, it's, I've only always known it as queer. Yeah. And it was about 2008 when I decided that I would kind of stop. I, I don't know. I'm just, I don't, I don't feel like I feel so disconnected from the gay male community and I kind mm-hmm. of always have kind of felt like an outcast in that community mm-hmm. and when I went back to college and I started meeting people mm-hmm. right from your age group I started hearing that and started yeah. really connecting with like oh yeah queer like it's it's also like less about like who I'm sleeping with and that's yeah. what I always felt like being gay was about it was always for people like when I was like oh I'm gay people would always be like oh who's the top who's the bottom who's the husband who's the wife? Like, <laughs> right, right. again in these implicit <laughs> like bias this. don't yeah. be an asshole yeah don't be an don't asshole. be an asshole don't ask those questions don't those ask are those, que- questions. those are super personal questions those like, are that is super personal the person that I'm in and some of us are cuddlers with. so get off yeah. my jock okay yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it was so offensive and when I started realizing that if I use the term queer, mm-hmm. it opened up a whole other conversation, whether it was about the word itself mm-hmm. or whatever. Because like you said, words, I mean, it's more for me, even though not so much the word as what, how did the person really feel? Mm-hmm. Like, were they just angry? Were they just upset? Or do they really like not like me? And it's it's those times that like, have been the words that have stuck with me. Right. Is when I knew it was someone who really, because I'm queer or gay or because of whatever about myself, that they didn't think that I should exist or they didn't think that I had a right to be. And right. I've encountered right. that a right. lot in my life where I'm yeah. from and, you know, my experiences and things. And even coming down here, you know, with APU, I love you, Azusa, but um, <laughs> with the experience there and just seeing what's happening there, even now at Azusa yeah. Pacific University and just like, the invalidation of who people are when we have implicit bias yeah you know and not understanding like because i've really like worked to come to terms with like the again those people were like doing what they were doing believing that they were doing it for my good but they were actually doing harm right and i really think that in the conversations i've had lately about implicit bias like that's what people like shushing a difficult person in a meeting Mm -hmm. rather than hearing them and like Mm -hmm. figuring out like how to get to the bottom so the difficulty can go away so this person can be heard about because it might not even be what's happening in the meeting that's bugging them right and is this person always difficult or are they just difficult today and what happened to them leading up to this that's making them present this way yeah you know yeah um and having compassion like no matter fucking what yeah don't be an asshole don't be an asshole don't have implicit (laughs) bias about someone that might just be having a bad day or might be having ptsd or my, something else might be going on. They, yeah. yeah, there was so much I learned this weekend. Yeah. So when I, when I was in high school, I was in choir. It's something that we have in common. 
Go choir, go singing. We love it. Except for I was never in a show choir, and I'm so <laughs> jealous because you you can't see us because we're not on video. But like Bo was just doing like almost like a little staying alive move with her <laughs> with their hand, and I was like, wait a minute, like. I love that you were in show choir. Oh, oh my anyway, God. yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I just, I'm jealous. <laughs> I, I loved it. It was great. Um, but I was also in show choir when, like, Glee came, when Glee came out. Oh, you, oh, wow. Like, I, so I was in show choir, like, maybe, I started show choir, like, maybe, like, two years after Glee came out. And okay. so, like, it was our job in high school to go to the junior high and, like, try to recruit people because our choir was super small and, like, we needed people to, like, keep the class alive. Yeah. And so I had to, like, bite my tongue as I'm telling these, like, little eighth graders, like, yeah, it's, like, Glee. <laughs> like, Was it not like Glee? It's nothing like Glee. <laughs> it's nothing like Glee. I will have full arguments with people about this to this day about how show choir is nothing like Glee. Uh, <laughs> I love show choir, though, because I was in school in the 80s and the early 90s and there was no there was a jazz choir in my high school and it was just like getting us to loosen up in yeah. a mostly white community where right. you're like hey move a little bit and the director's like move a little bit and yeah. i'm like i grew up in a house where dancing really wasn't a thing okay like, yeah like this is footloose town here like, right like oh, totally <laughs> brookings harbor oregon is totally footloose oh my gosh it oh, really God. is we talk about that it's kind of like you're stuck in the 50s oh yeah for sure. It's beautiful, but you're stuck in the 50s. Anyway, before we yes. got into the show choir tangent. Yes. Okay. So um, when I was in choir in high school, my choir teacher, not a really great person, but uh, she she would tell us because like we only had an hour of class to like work on something and then we would have like, you know, our, our rehearsals after school, like during the week. But um, because we only had like that 55 minutes of class period, her whole thing was like, Whatever's going on outside of this door, you leave it at the door. And I kind of got into the habit of that, of just, like, any time that I'm, like, I need to get down to work. Like, I leave whatever's going on at the door. But, like, not everybody can do that. Right. Not everybody can compartmentalize for an hour. And, like, what if you get triggered within that hour? Mm -hmm. You know? And, all, and that little box that's in your brain just explodes. Like going back to this whole thing of like working with difficult people like that little box for them might not exist or it's exploded and like you just need to deal with it and like mm -hmm. be a compassionate empathetic human being and try to figure out like like hey i see you you're whatever's happening your anger your disappointment your frustration whatever's happening it's valid let's get down to the bottom of why it's there and then talk about the issues at hand and then what you're actually trying to communicate mm -hmm. and that's something that like it takes a lot of practice because it's not something that we're taught no we're not if anything we're taught to be the difficult people rather than how to deflate somebody that's or not deflate but like um disarm de-escalate de-escalate yeah that's like the psychological term for it. Yes, de And they're even, ironically, what's so weird is they're even moving away from that. Did really? you know that? Yeah, it's so weird. And I don't know what's like hap what's happening. But I think, yeah. I think because things are so peer-led now, mm -hmm. right? And and things are like changing with like how services are delivered through right. healthcare, through right. mental health, through thank goodness homeless services. Mm -hmm. 
um, all of these things. Can we stop calling it homeless services? I yeah, mean, you please. know, like there's just so many things. And for me in the last two years, that's been so much about what it's been about mm-hmm. is this like seeing things through my lens mm-hmm. rather than remembering that there's a whole bunch of people around me that are struggling with different things. Yeah. And sometimes it's not always a thing that I'm struggling with and yeah. that I'm, I'm always having to unpack that like this journey that I'm on is something that I've kind of realized that I was like meant to do. Like, you know, in 2000 as a queer gentrifier, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to like, I'm really going to end up working on this for a long time, huh? Because this isn't going to end anytime soon. Mm -hmm. And here I am in 2019, you know, struggling with it, with like the lived experience and now speaking truth to power in so many places. And it's like, whoa, this is so weird. Like, I never thought this journey was going to take me here. Mm-hmm. And again, just like being aware of like all of the times that like people have had to call me out for like, right. not just my implicit bias, but my lack of awareness. Because mm-hmm. I think that's a, a big thing too, is lack of awareness. Like lack of, you know, I have the privilege to educate myself. And so it should be my responsibility to educate myself and, you know, learn about other people's experiences that aren't white and, yeah. you know, and, and realize that, you know, they're not just being sensitive or they're not just like, you know, oh, well, you're just overreacting. No, they're not overreacting and being aware of that. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's not just about skin color. I mean, and it's not just about homelessness. I get it all the time about being queer. It started happening to me and maybe it's always happened to me about being you know, part Italian. I'm not 100% Italian, but being part Italian and the comments that I've heard from people that just like really like unaware, like Mm -hmm. just stereotypes. And I was just like, have these always been here? And I just (laughs) didn't pay attention because at one point Italians in this country weren't considered white and that wasn't that long ago. It was less than 100 years ago. Right. Um, I mean, they were lynching Italians. Right. You know, in New Orleans and different places. So it's like, it's so bizarre to hear those things mm-hmm. and just in our current like state of things, because like, what if he leaves office and somebody else comes along that decides they want to continue with, you know, this agenda and um, like, do I need the privilege of my passport right now? And right. like, you know, do I need to be thinking about that? Um, and again, don't be an asshole. Yeah. Like it just, it's so, um, yeah, it's very bizarre. This thing of implicit bias. Cause I think they're very different. Like people who are doing the implicit bias stuff mm-hmm. don't always like they're not intending necessarily. They think in my experience, they think they're being helpful. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's where the word like implicit comes from as well. It's you think like, so? I think so. Just because it's like because everybody has bias based off of their experience. I think the implicit is like the unconscious part of it. Um, so what is I'm not sure then what that means maybe maybe it means something well to me I think about like microaggressions versus like actual aggressions like people can okay like people can have microaggressions that aren't necessarily conscious um like I feel like that goes that's in like a Venn diagram of implicit bias like a little bit of overlap in there how do you like when when that happens like mm-hmm. how do you like how do you talk to somebody like how do you go up to them and say 
like hey like i don't know because i'm always so like uncomfortable with that like yeah how do like you how do you address it unless i'm like freaking out in the middle of the meeting or whatever <laughs> like it's happened i mean you saw it like yeah um but i realized that not everybody not everybody can do that or yeah. wants to do that and that's not always appropriate either yeah i think i've so i did a lot of this in college too because i, I was working on implicit bias like i had grown up in the suburbs um the only thing that was potentially a minority for me was I was one of like five Jewish families okay. in my in my town okay um because like middle class white like we even had like a fairly large queer community within my weird wasps suburb like it was really? yeah it was super weird um but like when I was are in, you a wasp I am not a wasp <laughs> god no god no no I'm I'm actually I just wanted to see your reaction <laughs> Yeah, I'm a I'm a second generation American. Okay. Um and that's also something that was sort of like a minority for me too, of just like Yeah. Yeah, my my grandparents were not born here and I spent a lot of time with them. Yeah. And like I think about them when I think about storytelling a lot because like my childhood was like us being around the dinner table, like my grandparents, my family and like my aunt and uncle and their two kids and them telling stories. Mhm. And, like, some of it in Yiddish and some of it in English. Oh, cool. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, everybody knows a little bit of Yiddish because, like, entertainment purposes, like, they like to use <laughs> Yiddish a lot. Yeah. Um, which is great. It's a it's a great language. Um, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> getting off topic. <laughs> getting off topic. But that's, yeah. but that's so interconnected, though, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, this I... This is my experience. Right. Well, and, and being... Being in a space where the majority of the people are white mm -hmm. and you're of a different group yeah, is weird for me anyway. Like being queer, you know, some of the mm -hmm. stuff that like I've just like, whoa, like white people trip me out. Yeah. I guess that's going to go into the podcast. They do. Yeah, white we, people are weird, dude. We, I'm so, white people yeah. Are freaking weird. We're so weird. <laughs> White people, I'm sorry, but we're weird. <laughs> no, we shouldn't be sorry about it. Like, just accept it. I accept am sorry about it. And, like, you're weird. We're weird. Uh <laughs> I, I am sorry about it, though. I really am. Because sometimes it's frustrating. Like, the, yeah. you know, getting people... Getting people out of their way when they've only seen one thing or they've only had one experience or they've only... They've only been... I just bop, bumped the pop filter. Um... <laughs> When they've only like like someone like me who was from a community that at the time was pretty much all white, mm -hmm. you know, most of the folks, not everyone, but yeah. largely white in Curry County, Oregon, and not having that experience and coming here to L.A. after having lived a couple of other places first, but coming here to L.A. and and having most of the people like that were in my friend groups and most of the people that I went to school with at L.A. City College and everyone mm -hmm. that I went to school with at Pacific Beauty College, none of them were white. Yeah. And so it was weird to go back to Oregon for six years and like all of a sudden I was around all these white people again. I was so <laughs> weirded out. Yeah. And it was just like this. I sometimes feel like it was a dream a little bit, but I'm yeah. from there. And yeah. it was just so strange to like go from this environment. And not that people are that different. They are in some ways, but 
but it's just like the way that it plays out and mm-hmm. the culture that how culture plays out mm-hmm. and um and just in the dynamics of culture yeah um and it was just really fascinating and i was just i mean i love oregon but it was so happy so happy to come back here right and because diversity again is so much more than skin color yeah and it's so much more and i'm just i keep again having examples just like with implicit bias mm-hmm. all of these examples of how diversity i was talking with this new collaborator about podcasting and we're talking about the space that we met face to face in that uh, was a trauma-informed kind of yoga mm-hmm. and mindfulness space and just talking about that like how diverse the room was that they brought together and and across all sorts of different diversities and uh, yeah it's very very fascinating listening is a big part of it yeah absolutely extroverts listening is a big part of it (laughs) Uh, but to get back to your question of like how to address yes when when like implicit bias implicit bias comes up um so i did this a lot in college where i would ask people questions Okay. I would ask people questions about not necessarily like it's kind of like a like a roundabout way of trying to not necessarily get them to understand that what they said had implicit bias, mm-hmm. but try to understand where it came from. Okay. So um, like being like, oh, that comment that you made was really interesting. I'm just wondering, like, what what makes you feel that way or like what uh, what have you seen that like leads you to believe that or think that and then you can have a longer dialogue with each other and sort of break those biases down okay um because then you're engaging you're having a dialogue and um intertwining two experiences yours mm-hmm. and, the, and the other person's and it's a very like like we talk a lot about in ground game like nonviolent communication which is a lot of like this was said it made me feel this way but i don't feel like it works that way with implicit bias because even with that kind of language like you still feel like you're being confronted um yeah speaking from the eye position was something that i learned but you were answering the question but that was something i learned in mm-hmm. like group group dynamics and facilitation yeah. a long time ago was like just everybody in the room was speaking from like Speaking from their own experience, yeah. speaking about their own, ex- rather than speaking, mm-hmm. you know, because it's really easy to do that. Start yeah. speaking for other people and think that we, you yeah, know, we don't know anybody else's experience but our right. own. And I think that, like, that's definitely a psychological tactic. Um, especially, so? the, it's actually like something that's very, um, it's based, it's based around this idea, which is absolutely true, that you cannot control other people's actions. You can okay. only control your reaction to those actions. Okay. Um, so that goes into like the 10 cognitive distortions, um, which act, w- when I was 17, this changed my life. Really? Yeah. So we're going to get into a little bit of psychology here. Um, oh, 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 oh. Bo Delight is prepared. Ooh. <laughs> she is taking us on an implicit bias. Oh, yeah. We're going to do a little psychology class on cognitive behavioral therapy. Oh. Okay. So these 10 uh, cognitive distortions, I can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but it's like uh, black or white statements, Okay. Uh, labeling, which is mostly like to yourself, like, for example, like I felt I failed this test. I'm an idiot. That's labeling. Uh, Fortune telling is like um, being hesitant on an action because you think that like somebody else is gonna like hate you for it or like whatever even though that it's something that's gonna like make you happy um and then there's 
My favorite is should statements. Mm-hmm. So every time that you're like, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. They should have done this. They should have done that. That is a distortion because it's already happened. Okay. You can't change the past. It's right. already happened. So all you can do is deal with the situation and move forward. And then it's a lot of like figuring that out. So in the moment of like stress, depression, anxiety, like when that negative self-talk is happening, um, when you know the 10 cognitive distortions, you're able to figure out like, oh, I'm using should statements. I'm fortune telling. I'm doing this. And then it breaks it down. And then you're like, that thought's not true. That negative self-talk that I'm having for myself, it's not true. It's a distortion. And that like saved my life when I was like 17. Where was my therapist when <laughs> she said we were going to talk about CBT? And I was like, we are? And I was like, oh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And I kept waiting and I kept waiting and kept waiting at week after week. And we finally parted ways. Mm-hmm. I was an asshole, but that's okay. <laughs> um, my, PTSD kept get- my PTSD kept getting triggered. And she kept saying that we were going to work on this. And I kept wondering and yeah. wondering and wondering, yeah. like, that totally, like, makes sense and would be yeah. so helpful to me. Yeah. I'm going to have to so Google that and, like... David D. Burns. Okay. Ten Cognitive Distortions. Ten Cognitive Distortions. Okay. Yeah. That's so powerful because... Yeah. Oh. It's awesome. It's, well, it's something that I deal with. Yeah. You know? It's from... something that a lot of us deal with. Negative self-talk is not limited to any type of psychological abnormality or oh, abnormality it's... in quotations. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm laughing over here because I love how you put abnormality in quotations because I do. <laughs> I feel like I feel like an abnormality. I feel like, you know, I feel. Um, I mean, both yeah. of us have PTSD. That's in the DSM-5. Is that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Post-traumatic stress disorder is in the DSM-5. In case our listeners don't know, I'm a psychology student. Like, when I'm not an organizer, I'm a psychology student. So what is DSM-5? Because I don't know what that is. Uh, Basically, it's like the um, encyclopedia of disorders. Okay. Yeah. So. And and it it gets updated, uh, which is how we have the fifth edition. I think we're due for a sixth one soon. Okay. Um, But, like, like, there... Now there's like disorders for like um, for like being on screens too much or like playing too many video games. It's yeah. like everything gets updated a lot. And a lot of it is like I feel like so many of those types of disorders, including post-traumatic stress disorder, is something where it's like a somewhat like avoidance of the issue at hand um, because it's it's hard. It's hard to face the shit that's going on in your life or that has happened in your life Mm -hmm. and it's this airplane is just seeping into this audio (laughs) but we're gonna continue we are gonna continue we'd like to take a moment to thank gratitude thank you gratitude for sponsoring this podcast thank you red bull (laughs) oh yes thank you red bull someone (laughs) texted me oh my gosh funny aside someone texted me they were like 
Alyssa Edwards of podcasting. I'm cackling. <laughs> and I was like, thought she made it up. Steph, I love you. I thought she made it up. And I was like, oh, my God. I got into the shower and I was so like, oh, my God, that's brilliant. Like, she called me. The, oh, wait. No, I called myself that. Yeah, like did. It's like Joe Rogan hashtagging himself the best podcaster. It's like calling myself the Alyssa. <laughs> it was more because of the Red Bull. I'm drinking yeah. an honest tea organic honey green tea though today i have not Beautiful. had red bull i drank a little coffee yeah dunkin donuts i had, had pete's yeah Get some pete's coffee oh yeah with vanilla like a vanilla shot i we on my college campus we have like a coffee shop that like just serves pete's coffee so i got i got a black tie oh, which is just cold okay. brew half and half and i think like heavy cream and it's weird um okay. but it's okay I could do without like the stuff at the bottom. Just give me a cold beer with some half and half. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Don't make it fancy. I used my EBT Macau Fresh to get my <laughs> to get my Dunkin' Donuts in a can Heck yeah. from CVS, and I had some it's good. rewards points, so I ended up like almost getting it for free. Thank you. Nice. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so thank you to all of those products for fueling our <laughs> yeah. lives, but not this podcast. <laughs> yes, for um, fueling our days. <laughs> yes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but we were talking about psychology, unpacking, and like uh, avoiding life issues, disorders. Got it. Okay. So I could talk about my own experience with PTSD uh, without getting into the nitty gritty of like what caused my PTSD. Um, and it's something that I still struggle with a lot. I was in the hospital in April. Like, I'm not, I'm not shy about it. Like, I have a snail on my arm for that reason. Because small progress is still progress. Slow progress is still progress. That is what that snail is for. Um, but, so it's, not, it's something that, like, and this is something that I kind of figured out from going to group therapy. Like, I'm going to be dealing with this for the rest of my life. And that's, and I've come to the terms where, like, I'm okay with that. But um, the part that I that I like have to remind myself of and sometimes like other people try to shoot it down. But I'm like, but it makes it makes me stable. So like, shut up. Don't be an asshole. Is, <laughs> um, I would not be where I am exactly right where I am if those things didn't happen. Um, because I, I do believe that like butterfly effect type of stuff of like that didn't happen I might be a different person I might not have the same um knowledge that I have mm -hmm. that I do right now and I value that I value that within myself so why would I why would I want to change that um also thinking that um I mean it's it is mostly that of just like like I can't change the past it's very much like I can't change the actions of others, but I can I can be in control of how I react to them. And so it's a lot of like looking at the positives, even from like a horrific, horrific situation. Um, and then remembering that like there are people that love me. I have people that like care about me and support me and would be upset if I was gone. And I still got so much, I got so much life to live. I have so many more goals to, to hit. Like, I got to keep going. I got to keep going. Oh. <laughs> Rare moments when Scott doesn't talk. <laughs> yeah. Um. And this is like heavy shit. So like, I'm, I'm sorry. 
No, but it's also, okay. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, well, I'm in the adult homeless FSP program, uh, the full supportive partnership program for um, and homeless. Obviously, we all know what that stigma is about. Um, I have been, and I was just sharing this today with uh, folks at the LA Can pop-up market out in front of the last bookstore. We're doing that on Wednesdays. So if you want to come by and visit the LA Can, LA Community Action Network uh, pop-up table Wednesdays uh, from about 1130 to about 2 o'clock. Um, Do it. Yeah, Every LA Wednesday. Can's amazing. Um, we were talking about that, and I was just sharing about, like, not just like the suicidal ideations, mm -hmm. but the um, the times that I had been taken to the hospital mm -hmm. because someone said, "Oh, the Exodus facility," because I'm Exodus Recovery is providing the interim housing, and I'm not wasn't admitted there for for psychological reasons. It's just because I was homeless. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just so interesting because this person brought it up, and I just was so open to share, like. Because I'm finding that there's so many people that, well, Tori Shack, one of mm -hmm. my favorite speakers about this, she calls herself an anti-influencer. <laughs> um, and just like talking about this and, you know, I mean, there were, there were people that told me that like I wasn't going to live mm -hmm. and I'm 45 and I'm like, I'm still here. Yeah. And it's so bizarre because like things happen and... I mean, I've been through some shit in the last two years. I've been some sh through some shit in six months, and the director of the housing <laughs> keeps reminding me of that. But just, like, the only time that I was ever, I've been, four times I've been locked up in handcuffs against my will. Not for a crime. Mm -hmm. They always tell me, not for a crime. Um, but this last time, I was in Pasadena, and it was, um, it's been a year, mm -hmm. and uh, I was at church, and the priest had shared on Sunday about LGBTQ people having agency over their bodies. Mm -hmm. And I remember just sitting in the back and just crying like yeah. every time, Mike, I love you. Every time you, every time he preaches, I just like, I feel myself like just like so identifying with just like how him as a cisgender white hetero male with as much privilege as he has and as much education as he has being a rector of that huge church, just how, aware he is mm -hmm. um, but opening up to someone else on the campus about like my feelings at communion at Eucharist that following Wednesday and the police had bullied me earlier and had laughed in my face on the metro because I confronted them because they were harassing someone who was having a mental health breakdown that might have mm -hmm. been drug induced it might not have yeah. and they might have been homeless and they might not have leave them alone stop bullying him that's why they're agitated because you're bullying them yeah Oh, of course, people get agitated when you bully them. Anybody would. Yeah. Um, if you saw three yeah. cops walking towards you, of course you'd freak yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're having some kind of mental health breakdown or whatever's happening. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I ended up at church like that. And I just I remember crying and just like sobbing and just feeling so lost and alone. And like I was never going to get off the street and I was never going to have uh, opportunities ever again. And that everybody had except for Micah at a million drops. Thank you, Micah. I'd felt like so many people had kind of washed their hands of me. And I remember this person just like wouldn't leave me alone and kept like wanting to pray over me. And in the past it had been okay, but that day it was not, yeah. it was not okay. And I just, I just went there because I didn't know where else to go. Mm -hmm. All Saints in Pasadena is open from eight to eight and I could go there and I could sit and I could cry. 
I could also plug in my phone, but I could sit and I could yeah, cry. Yeah. And I needed a place to go and sit inside and cry and not be bothered by the cops or by mm-hmm. whoever. Um, and uh, I excused myself. I left my stuff and I went outside and I sat under a tree. And ironically, it was another time here in L.A. in the two years that I've surviving homelessness here. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been taken twice. Um, and the other time was in November 2017. And all of this stuff happened, but I was really being sexually harassed that time by a community health worker mm-hmm. at a clinic where I was getting primary health care mm-hmm. with a nonprofit that I, um, health agency that I really respect where I still have my health care through. Yeah. Um, that time they they discharged, and it was ironically Exodus that time, but they discharged me like right away. The psychiatrist was like, and that's what happened when they locked me up at, in Pasadena at the hospital. Mm-hmm. I was in psych level four, and it was like I was with these people where I was just like, and the staff finally, once they realized why I was agitated, because I've been locked up in the ER for 12 hours, yeah. and the staff was like, you're so agitated. And I'm like, lock you up naked with a gown that's not your size for 12 hours in a room with nothing yeah. that's freezing cold. And let's see how agitated you are when you haven't eaten or gone to the bathroom yeah. or anything. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, of course I'm agitated. Um, anyway, I ended up being let out within 24 hours. And the psychiatrist was like, I'm not going to prescribe you medication because I'm not that kind of psychiatrist that does that to people. Mm -hmm. Um, But he really encouraged me to think about that. Like when people are doing something, they're bullying me or they're picking at me or they're just saying stuff that's not like helpful, that's really hurting me, Mm -hmm. that's taking me back to that place. Because some of that stuff that was said to me, I think about it every day. Oh, yeah. You know, from when I was young. And it's just like, it's just like that concept of like, I'm... I'm still here and I'm still I'm still fucking fighting. Yeah. I'm still fucking fighting for LGBTQ people. I'm still going to keep speaking up about like white privilege and, you know, acknowledging that and unpacking that for myself and talking to you listeners yeah. about it, you know, and and folks around me and just being like, hey, you know, let's talk about this. Like we can't blame Donald Trump forever. No. You know, we've got to at some point there's start showing up history. and we've all got, you know, there's. It's in our media. It's in our culture. It's everywhere. The things yeah. we say, you know, the the stuff that happens. There's so much of it, and just being willing to challenge those stereotypes, and then also being willing to come into community when someone comes up and says, "Hey, you might not realize it, but like, I feel really hurt right now, and yeah. it's not your responsibility that I feel hurt, but I want you to know that maybe you didn't mean it in that way." Yeah. And that's oftentimes the way that I will try to do it, unless I like freak out in the middle of a meeting, <laughs> and I'm like, "I've got to talk about this right now." But, but just even really, like, yeah. Go so ahead. like that, um, that situation that I don't, I don't really think that we need to unpack for the listeners. It's fine, um, <laughs> but like, I still think that even that situation is appropriate when like somebody is saying something that's like really rubbing you the wrong way, where like the language that they're using, even if it's not their intention, the language that they're using about something that's very personal to you and that you mm-hmm. care a lot about is like really sort of getting under your skin like to to say in that moment like hey I don't really like the language that you're using I think that's completely valid Mm -hmm. but also like I think that it's important to do it in that moment and like for and it's different for everybody like I feel like for me like I want I want it to be in that moment um like I want somebody to correct me in the moment of like hey, the language that you're using isn't great. Like, can you reframe this for me? That way I can get a better idea of what you're actually getting towards. 
like then I can I can feel a little better about it um because time goes by so quickly for me like my brain goes Mm -hmm. a mile a minute so I I might lose what I said and not even realize that it that it happened and I think a lot of people are like that as well um but there's also some people that like they want to be a lot more discreet about it because they are working on it so it's something where it's like where later on you need to address it and it's I think what happens in those cases is like just really getting to know the people that you're conversing with getting to know the people that you're organizing with the people that you're working with in an office however you work with people collaborating with people getting to know them on a personal level and like how they operate and how their brain works like I think that that's really important too oh absolutely and for me I mean I'm extroverted privilege uh i was at a healthcare conference in eugene oregon a few years ago because it's one of my things with advocacy that i like to get involved with um and i was at this conference and there was this doctor and he made a joke on a panel where they were talking about gay men's health and healthcare disparities because there's huge if listeners aren't aware google it there's a lot of information out there about lgbtq healthcare disparities but this panel in particular was about men gay men's Mm -hmm. healthcare disparities and there were like four like healthcare professionals up on the platform talking on this panel and this doctor i don't even know his name and there was a huge outbreak of something happening some std or sti at mm-hmm. the moment it was not hiv it was something else and um he said oh this is the safest place to be in lane county right now because there's all these healthcare professionals in this whatever mm-hmm. you know sexually transmitted whatever uh was he was making a joke about that. Yeah. I was so bothered. Like I wanted to leave the room because yeah. we were sitting at tables. Cause in Oregon, that's a really big thing. They <laughs> take you to these events and they set you at tables and they want you to have little breakouts and talk about like what you're learning. Yeah. It's very inclusive, you know, very white people, inclusive thing to do. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> white people were weird, but I love that part. Um, so, and I just remember sitting there and feeling so like, I want to leave. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not knowing at this point in my life, like that I had PTSD. I thought, PTSD was something that, you know, my uh, the stuff I've been through can't have been that bad. You know, yeah. that's what I always thought. Or like when people think that the only people that can have PTSD is like veterans or people in like military yeah. service. Or like even like in huge like natural disasters yeah. or something like that. Yeah, or yeah, like yeah. really hardcore, not psychological abuse. That doesn't, no. you know, that doesn't seem, you know, that big of a deal. At least it did not to me. Anyway, I'm in this meeting and I wanted to like get up and leave. And it could have, I could have easily gone to the bathroom. I could have done it. We were staying in a hotel. Mm-hmm. I could have gone back to my room. It wouldn't have mattered. Um, and there were a couple of other people. There was like about six or seven of us at the table. And a couple of the other people knew because we'd been talking that I was queer. Mm-hmm. And they were looking at me. And then a couple of them started talking to me about it because we were way back in the back. Mm-hmm. Nobody could really hear us. And they started talking to me more and they were like, are you going to go say something? You seem like you're the person that would say something. Will you go say something, please? Because we were all like, we were fuming mad. Like our whole table was like seething. Like, how dare you get up on the platform and make a joke like that when there's all these people because, you know, prep was happening. Sorry, we had a little bit of technical difficulty there. Um, But getting back to what was cut off. So the table that you were sitting at was fuming they're asking you they're fuming they knew that i was doing a podcast back in my hometown about lgbtq activists and they were like are you gonna say something to this guy 
and I'm sitting there like so like wanting to just like run and I was like you know what I have to like mm-hmm. there's there's cisgender folks not everyone was white at the table but there's cisgender folks around the table with me it was a pretty diverse table and I was prompted to go and I had given feedback at these events before and so I knew to go to like the the registration table and talk to the conference organizers mm-hmm. and they then brought someone from the Oregon Health Authority over and they were like well, well I said no you don't understand he's about to get off the stage in a few minutes and I said I'd really like to talk to him about this like this isn't a you going to talk to him this is me talking about our community and mm-hmm. I'm a gay queer male that traveled up here I'm low income I'm not a privileged insurance company or doctor or whatever I'm a I'm a client Mm-hmm. And he made this comment, and I want him to realize that that's a joke for the golf course if he's going to make that joke. That's not a joke for this healthcare conference, yeah. especially on a po- panel dealing with gay men's healthcare disparities. And so he comes over, and that's exactly like what the way he approached. Well, it was just yeah. a joke. It was just a joke. And I'm looking at him, and I'm like, but I said, excuse me, but you appear to be like a heterosexual he goes like what does that have to do with that and I was like it has everything to do with it yeah because you don't understand what you just did and I said it wasn't just me the table that I was sitting at asked me there was multiple folks at the table asked me if I was going to come and speak to you as a member of the LGBTQ community and speak up for those of us at the table that were healthcare providers but also consumers Mm -hmm. and we were very bothered by it and he's like I'm sorry for offending you I said I'm not offended what I want you to do is in the future be mindful of what you say and that sometimes jokes aren't jokes you're trying to be funny and it wasn't funny and just being open to hearing that like you know it's not that it's PC it's just like you legitimately like you're impacting like the community and you're propagating homophobia with that joke yeah. and just acknowledging that. And when someone says, Hey, don't be an asshole. Mm-hmm. You might not realize you're being an asshole. We're going to deal with this gracefully because like, you know, I knew where I was, Yeah. but at the same time, like he heard it because I wouldn't like he like, and I was like, no, I'm not done. Yeah. Like I want you to understand because I feel like you're not hearing me. And sometimes that's necessary with people with, you know, in that kind of privilege situation, you know, to reiterate it. And I've been told before with people by people with privilege, oh, you're repeating yourself. And I'm like, I'm repeating myself for a reason because your eyes have glazed over. Well, I'm glazing over because, no, you're glazing over because you don't want to hear it and you don't want to engage. I'm an empath. I'm an intuiter. I know we're going to have this conversation because I want you to remember this. You may not remember my name, but you're going to remember this and you're going to remember this and think about it the next time that you think that. Oh, I'm going to get a laugh in this room full of people not acknowledging and realizing that, you know, there were a number of us that traveled that don't have the money, that don't get to travel a lot, that are low income. And we showed mm-hmm. up here as well. And it was hurtful. And yeah. you need to know that you hurt you hurt our feelings. And it's our responsibility to deal with that hurt. But at the same time, we also get to speak back because that's what we were brought here for is to, you know, help inform yeah, these conferences. Absolutely. So yeah. implicit bias. Yeah. And with the with the idea of grace this is something that like i struggle with but i don't really struggle with when it comes to like confronting implicit bias um what what does that mean to you like to or what does it mean for you um giving someone grace when they when they've made a mistake it's hard Mm -hmm. Um, going back to my own experiences 
sometimes it's not always easy, especially in the moment, mm-hmm. to give grace. It's something that I work on. Um, I think it also depends upon the nature of it. Yeah. Like, or is it directed at me, or is it just like a general statement? And then when I bring it up, am I being heard or am I being silenced? I'm being told that, oh, well, you're just this or you need to go see your therapist or Mm -hmm. you know whatever whatever kinds of shaming comments have been made Mm -hmm. um but realizing that like we all do dumb shit yeah we all say dumb shit we're all bullies we're all the bullied we're all on every like we're on the the opposite sides of a lot of things and acknowledging that in my life but like also acknowledging that like again going back to like implicit bias is a little bit different than outright like hatred of people right right? Right. and acknowledging that like these people that are doing it don't like a lot of like the advocates and stuff that have you know shamed me or you know told me oh just you know cut them out of your lives like if they don't agree with you like (laughs) blah 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 and it's like it's not so easy for me to do i'm not just like also i don't think that that's the solution like i don't think so either i don't i really don't think so because i really believe that the family that i was born into the situation that i was born into someone's got to speak to people yeah you know and acknowledging that, like, before my dad died, like, he really came around. I'm not saying he didn't love me, mm-hmm. but, like, he really came around once I had moved to L.A. And once I opened up to him and things. And then with my mom and my brother even now, like, trying to, like, work through that. Yeah. And just acknowledging, like, it's not coming from a place of intentionally hurting me. Yeah. It's coming from a place of, of really trying to be in solidarity with me and in community with me. And just like me also learning how to like speak up in healthy ways because sometimes mm-hmm. it's you know sometimes being triggered is too much and yeah. um i certainly know that you know feeling in the last couple of years but like trying to pull back from that breathing like taking a breath mm-hmm. and saying like okay like this person's doing the best that they can mm-hmm. it's a community organizing principle i learned a long time ago this person's doing the best that they can and if i can remind myself of that mm-hmm. in that moment as I'm about to react and understand that like they might not realize that what they said about homeless people is super hurtful. Mm-hmm. They might not realize how oppressed it because they're trying to be in community yeah, or about queer people or LGBTQ people or whoever. Yeah. They might not realize it and just like being willing to like for me it oftentimes like when I'm like, talking to people about stuff like that it oftentimes comes with tears mm-hmm. because it comes from such a place of like being silenced mm-hmm. and being told that like what I was going through wasn't real and it was just in my head. And if I would just change my ways that everything would change. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just in my head. And I think that's the biggest yeah. thing with, with implicit bias is like being willing to sit with those people that we really want to be in community with and being patient with them. Cause it takes a lot of grace takes a lot of patience. Yeah. So much patience. And so, again, so much listening. Because, like you said, like, it's not just, like, coming at somebody and, and, and saying, oh, well, I don't like what you said right here. Mm-hmm. Like, but being willing to ask those, like, questions and really wanting, like, it's not, like, calling out calling out or calling in implicit bias isn't about, like, othering and creating more othering. It's really about, like, no, we want to be on the same, like, on the same communication, mm-hmm. like, 
space or whatever. I don't, was going to say level, but I felt like that was hierarchical. Yeah. But like in that same like space of like being able to communicate and talk. And if someone's presenting into the, you know, with like stereotypes or implicit bias or whatever, and someone's not talking to them about it, it becomes really hard to like, because they've got a whole narrative about folks that maybe is not true and it might be folks that are in the room that mm-hmm. it's hindering you know participation especially yeah. with organizing or volunteering or things it's so important because we're reliant on mm-hmm. those people that are in the culture of service or the currency of service we're reliant on them showing up and when they do show up whether the extroverts or introverts or however their diversity presents being willing to extend that grace and be present with them and listen mm-hmm yeah, I, th- I think it also goes, for me, it's very reciprocal as well of, like, correcting somebody's implicit bias with grace, but also accepting it with grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that's really important to remember as organizers, too, is that, like, to accept criticism with grace. Um, because, like, we talk about a lot of heavy stuff and like doing services for a lot of people that we don't have their experience Mm -hmm. um like there there are a lot of organizers that are rallying around um the homelessness crisis that haven't have been housed their entire life or haven't had like a a fear of displacement mm-hmm. um they just have like the empathy of mm-hmm. like nobody deserves to be on the street right yeah um nobody deserves to be unhoused so it's a lot of when when you're organizing around things that you don't have experience with and then somebody that does have experience with with those issues like comes into the room and corrects you on something either how you said it the way you presented it or you know x y and z because implicit bias can be in anything Mm -hmm. um to understand like you know i don't have that experience this person does and i can learn from them Mm -hmm. and i can learn to be a better organizer for this cause by having a dialogue with them and learning from their experiences so i feel like receiving with grace as mm-hmm. well is really important. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's a big part of why, what I, you know, in attending so many churches, people are like, you must really love God. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I really love people who are passionate about social justice. Yeah. I mean, not that, you know, theology doesn't have to come into it, but, yeah. you know, going to these churches and like being in community with these folks who are praying for the homeless and talking to them then about like well what happens when a homeless person shows up mm-hmm. like how are they treated or what happens you know when someone in these communities that we're praying for this community mm-hmm. like what happens when they show up are they welcome in the mostly white you know not all of them Hollywood mm-hmm. Adventist isn't mostly white it's actually mm-hmm. super diverse but um but oftentimes really white you know mm-hmm. congregations or really privileged congregations yeah. and and acknowledging that and and just having these conversations and totally shifting like language and narratives, not just in churches, but like in nonprofits and mm-hmm. like being willing to like confront when like myths happen or 
um, different things happen. Like, you know, there's so many different things that I'm thinking about, you know, with folks where, especially around homelessness, you know, talking to advocates and being like, you don't realize what you're saying right now. Yeah. And it's really hurtful and, and you're not helping. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just because, well, any identity, but especially homelessness, like it can happen to literally anyone. Yeah. Literally anyone of any group of any economic class, yeah. any I mean, and in these podcasts and stuff that other people are doing too, and different things, it's like it's amazing, like the stories of some of these folks and the privilege that they had at one point, where we assume that you know they've they've struggled their whole lives. I've had many apartments, like yeah. I've I've had again I've had super cute apartments, and just acknowledging that that like those of us that are struggling with homelessness, like many of us, it's like not like a long term thing. Yeah. And being willing to unpack that and being willing to unpack, like, we can speak for ourselves. Like, mm-hmm. we don't need people speaking for us. We don't need to go to events and see a whole panel full of a bunch of people in suits. Mm-hmm. Men, women, black, white, Asian, you know, Native American, all these different groups. But they're all housed and they're all dressed really well. And some of them might have experienced homelessness at some point in their life. But... There's nobody on the panel that's currently homeless. There's nobody mm-hmm. in the audience that's hardly anybody that's currently surviving homelessness. That's happened to me so many times at yeah. events and things that I've gone to. And I'm just like, where are the people that this event is actually about? Right. It's like having an event about race, but everybody in the room is white. Yeah. Or having an event about immigrants and there's no immigrants in the room. Right. But it's just a bunch of advocates working on immigration reform and all of that. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, Invite those folks to the table. Mm-hmm. They want to be in part of the dialogue. They want to be. They're talking about how to inform us, but we're not listening. Yeah. And I think it goes back again to that grace. And it's happened to me when I was first confronted about my white privilege at LA City College. It freaked me out because mm-hmm. I was like, I've got black friends. I went to I went to beauty school on Crenshaw. I'm really aware. What are you talking about? And she was like, no. She goes, we're not going to talk about this, that in this class. This is political science. Mm-hmm. But I would like you to come to my office hours. Her name was Annie Cole, and I love her. She's mm-hmm. a lawyer, turned poli-sci professor. We're both from the Pacific Northwest. And it was just this, like, shift that she put in my life right when I was going back to to college. Mm-hmm. And she talked to me about, like, it's not recycling that you're working on. It's social justice, and you'll learn. And she gave me a book to read. And she started talking to me. Like, just because I'm white and I and I know black people and I care about black people doesn't mean that I really understand. Right. And and I don't even remember what it was that I said in the class that, yeah. you know, yeah. set that conversation into motion. But it really, like, it informed so much of, mm-hmm. like, my organizing and getting out of the way and realizing that, like, if I don't have a lived experience, like, as an African-American or Pan-African studies or black studies, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it, as that kind of major in anthropology, like... I'm not trying to speak to black folks or folks of African descent about their experience, but there's a lot of white folks and other folks that I hear like make comments and statements about Donald Trump or about other things. And I'm like, or about the black Panther. I love to get in debates (laughs) with people about the black Panther party and what really happened because people are they're They're conditioned through the media. They're conditioned Mm -hmm. through pop culture of what is, real and it's like it's not real like they weren't just all about carrying guns around and that was really about police brutality in their neighborhoods and taking up arms just like just like you know these you know these patriots in different places that are taking up arms because they think the government's going to take their arm it's the same kind of thing yeah they really they're standing up the difference is is 
cops aren't going around, you know, recklessly shooting white people. Right. You know, for implicit bias and yeah. racism and things like that and white supremacy. But it just like it just so like what about what was that? The, the cop in Texas. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, I mean. I'm so glad that she was held accountable, but like, it's so stunning because even people are saying, I can hear people saying, oh, it's women and people of color that get convicted. And it's like, but it's anybody, anybody who kills anybody. But like, in particular, like we have a problem with the cops in our nation shooting people Mm -hmm. who are homeless and people who are black. Mm -hmm. And it's not okay. Yeah. It's not okay. Absolutely. And it's coming from, you know, I think oftentimes with this case of this woman, Amber, implicit bias. Yeah. You know, I don't think she's an outright racist. It doesn't, you know, she looks like a regular, nice, upstanding human being that probably doesn't think of herself as a racist at all. Mm -hmm. But implicit bias, I'm sure, came into play that day. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Don't be an asshole. Don't be an asshole. Don't be an asshole. That was a great title. <laughs> I was like, where is Bo Delight going to take me on this journey? And we sit down, you're like, implicit bias. And I'm like, that's why this has been coming up for this last two weeks, because we're on a two-week recording schedule. Yeah. Um, this last two weeks, it's been coming up everywhere. And it had been playing in, like, my life, mm-hmm. like, in nonprofits and talking to, with people in nonprofits about, you know, diversity. And it's not just skin color, but it also is. And, you know, homelessness really is, like, on one of these episodes, I'd love to have some folks, you know, join us and, and start talking about, like, not just the history of homelessness, mm-hmm. but like the social construct and oh, like yeah. how it came into place. And it's not just like people end up on the sidewalk and, oh, let's feel bad for them because of bad choices that they've made. It's predominantly folks who are LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. It's predominantly folks who are immigrants. It's predominantly folks of African descent. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's also folks, the folks that I do see that are, you know, white like me that aren't. LGBTQ and our immigrants, they also tend to be folks who are struggling with some kind of mental illness. And being on the street exacerbates mental health right. situations, right? And that's proven. So it's like, why not get people inside where they can heal? Yeah. Whether it's from mental health or from racism mm-hmm. or from, you know, having their backs turned on them by their family yeah. because they're LGBTQ. I mean, there's so many things. Like, there's this beautiful group of people I'm following in Illinois called Jolt Harm Reduction mm-hmm. and this one guy Chris Schaefer, shout out Chris Schaefer if you ever listen to this <laughs> he shared this article by this guy I forgot the guy's name but he talked about his experience like getting kicked out as a gay teenager yeah. of his home and it was just so beautiful the people in the post that were just coming forward and saying like hey if you're kicked out like and I like said like as a 45 year old man i don't and a lady even came into the post and was like are you are you homed now not are you housed yeah are you homed now and it was just like this woman lives in peoria illinois and i was just like there's no way that i would go to peoria illinois it's cold and humid yeah i mean maybe (laughs) knock on knock on wood i might someone might send me there um but it just it touched my heart that there's people that get it and they understand that like homophobia is a social pathology that leads mm-hmm. people to homelessness, even if it doesn't lead them to homelessness in their teen years. Like yeah. it almost did for me, but like I was lucky that it didn't. But at the same time, like it's impacting me now Yeah, where it's like this word home has such a loaded word for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like when she said, are you homed? And I was just mm-hmm. like, I like that. It's cute. I like that. Home. Yeah. 
I thought it was sweet. I thought it was, it was informed and it was, um, it's so much more than having a house. I mean, I'm yeah. learning that like with, you know, staying with Exodus Recovery and, you know, being there and thinking about, you know, the, the staff there and the director and, you know, the people that work there and just their awareness and consciousness of like the fact that I'm struggling and the fact that the other residents are struggling and mm-hmm. like extending that grace and like really understanding like you know the days that I have had bad days and I have gotten upset you know them just like later just being like it's okay yeah like it's okay we love you we know you're going through it and it just like I mean even right now I'm starting to (laughs) twice in one podcast I'm gonna cry um and it's just amazing because I'm so used to being rejected you know I'm so used to being rejected when things happen or you know when someone tells me like it's happened in the last six months, you know, that I don't deserve a roommate told me that I didn't deserve to be alive a couple of times and threatened me. And it was just like, they've been so patient and mm-hmm. it just like that grace is something that I haven't always felt from other people in my life. Yeah. And just being able to finally feel that is just so, it's so beautiful because it's a big part of like how people fall into homelessness is a lack of social support. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought I knew lots of people. I thought I had a lot of support, and you know going through this and and hearing other people's stories of like you know that's how it happens to them and then yeah but had this not happened to me Mm -hmm. and had I not realized that the experience of homelessness and the experience of being queer and growing up in a small town in southern Oregon that social isolation was so similar Mm -hmm. like both experiences have informed my advocacy and my awareness and my ability to like be present with people to like go up to somebody who's laughing at someone who's having a mental health breakdown Mm -hmm. in downtown or on the train and go up to them whether they're a cop or not and just be like you know what that's not funny yeah why are you laughing yeah like at first when I first got back and I was carrying my bags I get really mad yeah but now I can be like you know that's not funny imagine if that was you imagine if that was your mother or whoever and not to play like it matters but just like put yourself in that situation if this was somebody you cared about Mm -hmm. and this person is struggling that much to be going through that regardless of their circumstance I certainly hope that someone would take compassion and mercy and grace on me in that situation. Mm-hmm. So let's extend it to them by not making a mockery and a fool of them by laughing at them in their pain right now. Yeah. Um, sometimes people listen and some people don't, but I'm also the guy who like, if I hear someone commenting on my bag, I'll turn around and be like, yeah, it is a nice bag, isn't it? And just <laughs> clap back and they'll be like, Oh, I wasn't expecting yeah. that. I know yeah. you weren't expecting that, but <laughs> this queer don't take it like that. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, I feel like we've covered I mean, this conversation could go on. Forever. Yeah, I feel like we need to start having guests and start talking about implicit bias on a regular basis. Yeah, I think that would be. I agree. I've got a couple of people even already in mind, kind of to Heck yeah. to bring into the conversation, and we could hear their stories about what they feel about extending grace and yeah, and calling people into conversation around implicit bias. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me not to be an asshole, Bo Delight. <laughs> I I. I'm happy to remind the entire world. <laughs> you hear that? She's putting out feelers. <laughs> I am. Uh, don't be an asshole. Don't be an asshole. Um, and extend grace extend when someone grace. says, hey, maybe you don't realize it right now, but that action was kind of, you know, and just be open to hearing that from somebody. Yeah. And accepting it with grace. Accepting it with grace. Yeah. Thank you, Bo Delight. Thank you, Scotty Appleseed. Thank you all for listening. 
Uh, this has been Bodelite and Scotty Appleseed. Uh, thank you for working on your micro to help the macro.